0: Will, thank you so much for um, giving us some of your time this evening. Really appreciate it. I think we're thinking we've been a year into this pandemic. We're looking at the pressures that we're now living under, and it kind of feels like maybe we're at the end of it, and yet the pressures feel bigger and stronger than they ever did before. And some of those are material, some of them are psychological. Just like, wonder, what do you see happening, and how do we handle those pressures?
1: Thanks, Ed. Well, it's great to be here with some mats, and I'm delighted to be able to share something with you tonight i um have been i started teaching about in may time uh, of 2020 around the five stages of um of traumatic sort of recovery response um and these are called the five phases of collective trauma response they begin with the impact phase uh, then the heroic phase then the disillusionment phase then the recovery phase and then the wiser living phase and so that was that was all well and good at the time but that's really dependent on the idea of a single event trauma. So I was involved in the London bombings, which is how I ended up involved in mental health. I then worked at the Grenfell site for a couple of years. Um, both of those were, if you like, single impact trauma. And therefore, uh, if you like, the wisdom was it follows this kind of steady fivefold journey. And really moving into the recovery phase is something you expect to happen relatively close to the end of the disillusionment phase. And then the wiser living phase maybe is a couple of years to further down the line. With, with, with the experience of coronavirus, actually what's happened is we've had three micro circles. So we've had not five-fold model, but a three-fold model. We've had an impact phase, a heroic phase, and a disillusionment phase replayed three times, but each time the heroic phase has got weaker and weaker. So we were all clapping the NHS in April and May and exercising with Joe Wicks and being super animated about how we were gonna beat lockdown by becoming better versions of ourselves. And then in lockdown two, we were less enthusiastic about clapping. We turned off Joe Wicks and we weren't learning to bake sourdough. Joe. And in lockdown three, everyone had forgotten about the heroic right phase at all and just found themselves in disillusionment. So I'd say, you know, there's a number of things happening, but certainly, you know, d- disappointment makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Mm-hmm. This process of becoming a less and less sure of the recovery means that actually we become less and less animated and expectant of what might happen in the future also to say simply, you know, we've been plugged into an adrenal drip for the last nine months. Mm. Our adrenal system is meant to protect us and operate on a 15-minute cycle. Suddenly, we are literally experiencing low-level anxiety 24-7, 365, and wondering why we feel listless, exhausted, you know, really lacking energy, lacking focus, or agitated. Mm. Um, and so there's, there's both a physiological, a psychological, and a spiritual element to what we're going through right now. And uh, it's always darkest before the dawn. So here we are potentially looking at an unlock in the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. Many people are describing their symptoms of lethargy or hopelessness or Mm -hmm. despair um, as being worse than they've ever been during the context of this pandemic. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a complicated time. And I'd say to everyone on this call, you're doing better than you think. Try and encourage yourself because you've been through a really, really difficult time. You're still going through a really, really difficult time. And it's easy to beat yourself up and think you should be doing better than you are. It was actually just need to acknowledge you've been through a really, really difficult year. And you're, the fact that you're on this call, uh, you're still participating in the life of the church is a really healthy sign.
0: Yeah. I, you know, that thing you describe of um, a bit of despair and disillusionment really creeping in. Like I, It's like a universal experience. I've felt it. I'm sure you felt it. Loads of people in our community have felt it. I wonder, as Christians, is, is sometimes it's really hard to reconcile like, our beliefs with then what we're experiencing in terms of the trauma and the discouragement. Like, wh- what do we do with those two things? How do we bring them together? Well,
1: I think the first thing is to say that there is was really a lot of false expectation around the, Christmas, the Christian life with regard to emotional health. Um, Christians, I think, tend to believe that Jesus sort of floated three quarters of an inch above the ground and was permanently smiling and looked serene and calm. When actually, if you look at Jesus' emotional spectrum, what you see is, you know, he, he was so distressed, he swept drops of blood. Uh, he, was, he cried. You know, the most powerful verse in the New Testament is Jesus wept at mm-hmm. um, the tomb of Lazarus. You know, you've got Jesus who was so angry that he created this whip of, of strands and then beats the t- temple traders out of the temple courts. Mm-hmm. What you see in the life of Jesus is the complete spectrum of emotion. And what we know about Jesus is he was tempted in every way. Was That was without sin. And that's a sign that actually you can experience emotions, and emotions aren't sins. Mm. Emotions are like taking the temperature of your experience, and, and they tell you what that felt like, mm. but what they aren't is a statement of your lack of character or your, or your sinful desire. So if you feel angry or disillusioned, mm. that isn't a sin, that's a, that's a temperature of your experience. And I think Christians have become very uh, cut off from their emotions, and they've thought that emotions which they call negative I call purple or interesting uh, are actually wrong when actually they're they're right they are they've been given to us by god as a way of interpreting our experience and sharing our experience and collaborating in our experience even if that's a tough experience Mm. so I think we've got to be really careful not to brutalize our emotions into something that they're not and certainly claiming you know deep happiness or huge opportunity Mm. in a pandemic feels to me anti-human and therefore anti-God. The book of Lamentations is pretty exhaustive, yet the contemporary church doesn't spend a lot of time in there. I think there's provision for grief, for lament, for struggle in scripture, but we've got cut off from that. And therefore we feel bad when we feel bad when actually we should not feel bad about feeling bad. Feeling bad is an aspect of what it is to be alive. It's what it means to be human. And we have to be more compassionate to ourselves and to others whilst we're feeling bad
0: yeah I, that's such good advice the c- compassion for yourself i think is something that people actually really struggle with and i don't know why it's somehow ingrained in us as followers of jesus that we have to hold ourselves to this higher standard than the world we see around us and i think one of the verses that i was talking with someone the other day about the verses in the bible that say do not worry or do not be anxious you know how do we respond to those things how do we put those in their right context
1: you yeah, know, we'll say Matthew 6, 34, don't worry uh, about uh, tomorrow because tomorrow take care of itself. Today has enough troubles of its own. Is a sign that Jesus wasn't actually teaching us not to worry. In, you know, when people think about the instruction, do not worry, they they sold that verse as a commandment as if it was the 11th commandment that we, if we disobey, we sin. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus is using a very helpful piece of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is don't worry about tomorrow. That's what we call catastrophization in psychological terms. That means, if you like, applying the grace of today to the challenges of tomorrow, which is impossible. Instead, Jesus says, let tomorrow worry about it, take care of itself. Today has enough cares of its own. What Jesus is actually saying is you need to worry about the issues that are actually pertinent to your life right now. Mm. Now, What we would argue, you know, in what we wrote about in the context of the worry book was that there are two sorts of worry. There's a floating worry. That's catastrophization. Mm. That's the worry of tomorrow. Mm. Uh, And there's also something called solvable worry, which are the problems of today. Now, Jesus was doing a really helpful thing when he pointed out the fact that actually, we're exhausting ourselves by applying ourselves to the problems of tomorrow that we cannot fix. Why don't we attend instead to the issues of the day? And that means dealing with the solvable worries. If we can label our worries and then apply our energy to the right sort of worry, Mm. we'll actually be productive people. Um, And so this isn't an instruction not to worry per se, it's an instruction to be discerning about what we worry about. Helpful, productive worries, problem-solving, effectively repackaged. Also, Paul says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, um, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, mm. bring your request to God. It's again, it's a really helpful tool. Mm. Paul isn't actually saying don't be anxious. He's saying don't be anxious, and by in not doing, not being anxious, you're going to do these three things. The first one is prayer. That's articulating your worries to someone who can genuinely help you. Yeah. The second one is petition. That is drilling down your worries. That is actually kind of pressing into the things that are most significant. So that reinforces that process. And thirdly is gratitude training, which we know transforms our brains. So in all of this, be thankful. So again, Paul's brilliant psychological framework of how we deal with worries is give them to someone else. Make sure you identify what they actually are and then start giving thanks for things that are actually going to change your experience. And obviously that's discounting the supernatural power of God to actually do something about the worries we're carrying. Yeah. What do we say about scripture? Scripture's great psychology. It's great for our mental health. But the problem is we're often manipulating scripture in a way to brutalize ourselves rather than reading it for what it's really worth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's so helpful because I think a lot of people read those verses and whether they've been a Christian for one year or fifty years, like it can be you can feel really kind of judged by that and actually finding a freedom to interpret those things in a new way. I wonder one of the things I've, the habits that I took on early in the pandemic was to delete the BBC News app from my phone just because I found that that was like a contributing kind of wave of um, anxiety or worry about the future that was coming in all the time. I wonder, do you have any other top tips about how we can maybe uh, respond to worry, anxiety, fear in a healthy way?
1: Sure. I mean, so three life systems that we we have, the three life systems that enable us to thrive are productivity, recovery and security. Um, And, those three things really uh, are, cover the essence of what it is to be human and, and alive. The trouble is that the security system takes preeminence over the recovery system and the productivity system. So if, you, if your fire alarm goes off at work, you don't say, "Oh, well, I've just got another project to do before I can leave the building. Or sleep at home and the fire alarm goes off. You don't go, well, I'll just go, I'll press snooze for an hour and then I'll get up then and I'll go outside then. When the fire alarm goes off, you've got to leave the building straight away. So the same is true for our adrenal system which is responsible for our safety and security when it's activated it takes preeminence over the other system so if you're adrenalized if your limbic system is alive and you're anxious it's hard to sleep it's hard to concentrate it's hard to focus it's hard to work it's hard to relax it's hard to recover everything mm-hmm. becomes difficult when your fire alarm is saying you need to leave the building so, a great challenge we've had in lockdown is by being, if you like, adrenalized the whole time. Mm. And that's why your advice of reducing the amount of, of, of traumatic imagery in our lives actually can help us to recover. I say to people, you know, it, it, your, your limbic system, your adrenal system is, is fueled by caffeine, it's fueled by bad news, uh, it's fueled by drama. Mm. And basically, everyone's adrenal system is highly sensitized at the moment. So, it's if you, know, if you imagine the alarm has been going off for a really long time, like a smoke alarm in your house, mm-hmm. you know, you've opened all the windows, but a little bit of a waft from the wrong direction and suddenly it goes off again and you're busy fanning it again with your tea towel. Your adrenal system is like that at the moment, so you need to do anything you can to begin to dial it down. Mm-hmm. Being traumatised by the news is something that everyone's doing, but because we're anxious, we want to consume more news to know we're safe. So I say half an hour a day in the morning, process it during the day and then pick it up the same day at time the next day is a helpful model. Reducing yeah. your caffeine intake after 3 p.m. No caffeinated drinks beyond 3 p.m. is really important. Reducing your alcohol intake is also really important. And Christians think that this is not an issue that faces, that impacts them. But I'd say, you know, issues around alcoholism, increased alcohol use have rocketed during lockdown because everyone's trying to dissipate the impact of their anxiety and medicate against it. Please yeah. Reduce your alcohol intake. Um, try and get to bed at a reasonable time. Mm-hmm. Read a boring book before you go to sleep so your mind isn't alive to things which are traumatic and terrifying. And spend time just in gratitude with God. Try and reconnect with nature. It's great for you guys down there in Exeter. You know, take a walk along yeah. the beach. Go to Topsham or Exmouth if you're allowed to. And yeah. you know, put your, take your socks off and put your, put your toes in the sand. Kind of ground yourself in nature again and spend some time in the green because that really helps you to kind of dial back and feel connected and helps your limbic system to really recover. Lots of things you can do practically, but Mm -hmm. the most important thing is not to try and hold your breath to get through this pandemic. And one of the great challenges we face now as we approach the end of the pandemic is people trying to push through. And actually the most damage you'll do is in the last 100 yards. So Mm -hmm. try and focus on self-care now. Don't think, oh, I'll wait until I can go on holiday in June before I start doing anything for myself.
0: Yeah. That's so helpful. We all need to take our socks off, get our feet in the sea. It's just so life-giving, and that's the best thing about living in Devon. Um, so when you're allowed to come, you must come visit us and, um, and let, let's go surfing or something. It would be great. Here's the last question for you, which is a whole lot of people will be experiencing some of these things maybe for the first time and because they're isolated and we've got um, students and young adults working from home a lot and things like that. And and these pressures might be new. What would you say to somebody who's kind of worried about their mental health or worried about a friend's mental health and how they could respond to that?
1: So the first and most important thing I say is if anything I've said or anything that's come up from this podcast uh, provokes you to be concerned about your mental health, I would encourage you to talk to your doctor straight away. There's two sorts of ways of approaching that. The one is to contact your own GP surgery, or if you're really worried about your health and safety and well-being, then just walk into an A&E clinic mm. and say, look, I'm, I'm feeling concerned about my mental health. Mm. No doctor will turn you away or, or will diminish your problems. Uh, GPs, a third of GP appointments are related, related to mental health. And right now they are taking mental health inquiries more frequently than ever. And they're expecting that. So don't think just because it's a mental health problem, it's less important than a physical health problem. It's just as important, sometimes more important. So that's the first thing. Know it's okay to ask for help. It's actually really important to ask for help. So mm-hmm. the second thing is to know you're not alone, that this mm-hmm. mental health always feels like an isolating experience, but actually it's you know statistically a one-in-four experience. In reality, it's probably a one-in-two experience. So every other person is going to be going through something, particularly now, so know that you're not alone. Sharing the burden really helps. And, and talking about your mental health helps you to do better. Some people will have what we call suicidal ideation or thoughts around suicide, which might feel mm. like a really difficult topic for me to raise right now. But mm. again, my encouragement is to talk about it. What we know is that talking about that really difficult issue does not make it more likely to happen. In fact, it makes it less likely to happen. Mm. But again, if, if anyone you know, if you yourself have thought about a plan or taken that, you know, that further, mm. then please seek uh, NHS support straight away. Don't mm. wait for it. And, and I think in all of this, you know, we have to recognise that there is mental health and emotional health. Mm. Looking after emotional health doesn't mean we won't struggle with our mental health, like being physically healthy and going to the gym and working out it doesn't stop you getting physically ill, mm. but it can help you when you do get physically ill to make a, a better recovery. Mm. Looking after our emotional health is something we all have a responsibility to do. Mm. Some of us will struggle with a mental health condition, but we can still have great emotional health. And our emotional health will help us in our mental health recovery. So this is about general self-care. We all Mm. should participate in that before we become unwell. Mm. But if we do become unwell, we need to know, Mm. we need to reach out for help. We need to start talking about the challenges that we're facing. We might Mm. need medication or therapy to help us as part of our recovery and we need to escape from the shame and stigma that's historically been attached to mental health and recognise actually this is another part of what it means to be human and more than that God loves us and he's with us in those kind of challenges
0: so good that's been the experience of my life as well that the conversation has never been unhelpful and actually pursuing this health emotionally spiritually psychologically has been been hugely life-giving well I'm really grateful for your time this evening thanks so much for speaking to us sharing your wisdom Uh, we're going to be cheering you on and we can't wait to welcome you down to Exeter when it's allowed thank you so much Thanks
1: so much Ed